0: Uh, please take your Bibles and go to Second or Two Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, Two Thessalonians, Chapter Two. Second uh, Thessalonians, Chapter Two. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to study this morning uh, the whole chapter and I wanted to direct our attention uh, a bit more on the details about in times given the circumstances in our world today because we started, well, excuse me, let me restate that, we repeated uh, Matthew chapter 24 verses 1 through 35 uh, last Sunday um, and we started that nine weeks ago. Um, in Matthew chapter twenty-four, so I thought, well, let's let's um, kind of do a little bit of, of I'm to say digression, but a little bit more of information. This is what we we call uh, progressive revelation. Uh, something is revealed in the Old Testament, and then you get more fuller information about this. You come to the New Testament, and then more full as you come later on to New Testament until you have a greater amount of understanding of what's going on in the book of Revelation, especially in regards to end times. So let's read Second Thessalonians chapter two. We're gonna do the whole chapter this morning. Uh, let's read it and then we will dive in. Two Thessalonians chapter two. <coughs> Paul says, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him that you may not be quickly shaken from your mind or be disturbed either by a spirit or a word or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Verse five, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he may be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who restrains is until he's taken out of the way and then verse 8 that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, verse 11, God sent upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe the lie. order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. But we, verse 13, should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord. Because God has chosen you from the beginning unto salvation in sanctification of the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this He called you through our gospel in order that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brethren stand firm and hold fast to the traditions which you were taught whether by word or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who's loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Uh, yesterday, uh, Chris and I celebrated being married for 28 years. Yes, yes. Hooray <laughs> right for her. She actually... <laughs> she actually put up with me for 28 years poor thing we've known each other for 36 years it's going to be 36 years since we were 12 uh, and there's been great times in our marriage and for those of you who have been married uh, you know that there's great times and there's hard times too there's difficult times conflict struggles and it's in those hard times we need to remember the covenants, the, the commitment, the promise that we've made to Christ, to each other. It's in those hard times where you're holding fast. You gotta stand strong. It's in the hard and difficult times where we as Christians need to stand firm and hold fast to the gospel truth. When everything around us in our world is screaming at us to give up and throw in the towel or to respond in in fear and anxiety, worry, panic. Now is not the perfect time to panic. And one of those reasons that we can stand firm and hold fast is the return of Christ. Christ. That's only one reason that Paul's going to give us today. But I titled the message, if there's anything you get out of this, you saw as I emphasize there in verse 15, stand firm and hold fast. There, verse 15, so then brethren, stand firm and hold fast. We'll look at that more in detail in a moment. This chapter is about us standing firm and holding fast as Christians. Stand firm and hold fast. Uh, Longer, this is kind of the, uh, put the message in one statement. Because, excuse me, Jesus will return because God loves us and because we will share in Christ's glory, we must stand firm and hold fast and know this, God will help us stand firm and hold fast you need to ask pray ask for his help that's the message today because Jesus will return because God loves us and because we'll share in Christ's glory we must stand firm and hold fast and God will help us to do that so if you want to take a nap now you can do that because that's the message in a nutshell so again I want to take some more time and give a little bit more details about end times Given the circumstances in our world today. Now, do I believe the end of the world is happening right now? No, not necessarily. I don't. Yet realize we are in the last days because Christ has come. When Jesus came, he inaugurated the messianic age or the last days. So so his return can be at any time. But today, we're going to see some key aspects for us to look for so we can be better prepared for the return of our Lord. So this is not the end. This is not the end of the world. Yet, realize this. Every single event in history that's happening right now is all moving in a direction to the return of Jesus. Everything. All these little details, all the big events that are happening, everything is moving in one direction to the coming of Christ. So is it the end of the world? No. But yet realize everything is moving to the end of the world. So then it kind of is, right? See what I mean? Paul starts here with the reasons for us to stand firm and hold fast. We'll look at that in just a moment. But notice reason number one. Because Jesus will return, dot, 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 verses 1 through 12. Because Jesus will return. Notice how he begins this part, verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to Him the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to Him notice how this corresponds to Matthew chapter 24 verse 29 to 31 which we looked at last week which speaks about Christ's coming and then the gathering of the elect you see that so Paul's doing it in the exact order that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 he was going to come Gather the elect, Paul says, but the coming of our Lord and the gathering of his, of his elect. Gathering of us, now specifically. And he says, that you may not be quickly shaken, verse two, from your mind or disturbed either by spirit or message or letter, word, to the fact that the day of the Lord has come, it's clear. Some were teaching in the church, maybe that the day of the Lord had already come, and they missed it somehow. Oh, man, missed it. Man, I thought it was, uh, I don't know. They were shaken in their mind. He says, no, no, don't be shaken in mind, or, or by a word or, or a letter. And then he says, spirits, in other words, it means like some type of revelation that had come from Paul, other than what he had instructed them previously. Paul needed to clarify the information for them, thinking that the day of the Lord has come. Now, there's much debate as to to what this phrase means, and it really depends on the context, which drives the specific aspect of what's being mentioned. It seems here, when Paul says, Day of the Lord, Paul spoke holistically of Jesus coming gathering of the elect, judgment, etc. In other words, the coming judgment and the signs that precede that. That's what it seems like he means here. But however, what he's talking about, notice what he says in verse 3, don't be deceived, let no one in any way deceive you because two events must happen first. He says here in verse 3, Unless the apostasy comes first. So, two events must happen. Number one, the apostasy comes. This corresponds as well with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9 to 10. By the way, I'm going to keep referring to that in this first point because Jesus will return. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew 24. Paul is giving clear revelation as to what Jesus meant. There's going to be a huge falling away from the truth. An anti-God wave. Uh, We described it last week and nine weeks ago. People's love for God and for others would grow cold. There would be a huge falling away from the truth. the visible church would forsake the gospel truth as betrayers and persecution increases. So the first event that needs to happen is the apostasy. It's the apostasy, a huge falling away. But notice he says here, number two, again, verse three, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness, number two, is revealed. And notice the characteristics of this man of lawlessness. First, lawlessness it stands in opposition to God and his law. No law, lawlessness. No, no, no. Notice a second aspect of his character. The son of destruction there at the end of verse 3. Or the son of perdition. Or the son of hell. Which was his destiny. So he stands in opposition to God. Lawlessness. He's called the son of destruction. That's his destiny. Notice as well. Do I have, oh wait, I have it up here, sorry. He stands in opposition to God and his law. Number two, he's called the son of perdition or of hell, which was his destiny. Number three, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God, verse four, or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, <clears throat> which is why he's also given the synonym title of antichrist so he opposes and exalts himself over every or over every so called god or object of worship and even worse he would take his seat in the temple of god and display himself to be god now if you know anything about old testament prophecy specifically the book of daniel this is exactly what daniel says in daniel chapter 11 verse 31 and also Daniel verse 11, chapter 11 verse 36 to 37. Which is the abomination. Which parallels where Matthew chapter 24 verse 15. Remember when Jesus says that? When you see the abomination of desolation as is spoken by Daniel the prophet. And I mentioned this last week. This tells us this means that the temple must be rebuilt in the future now uh, mind you some people uh, take temple here to mean the church and and understand that we are called the temple of god paul says this in ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 using the same word but this doesn't make sense in the context Taking his seat in the temple of God. How, does that, how is that figurative? Not to mention, again, Daniel chapter 11 makes it clear this would be a literal temple. I also mentioned this last week as well. Historical desolations anticipate a later future eschatological desolation. When Daniel spoke of this in Daniel chapter 11, he was prophesying something that was gonna happen later on, which it did. In 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple that was rebuilt, sacrificed a pig, desecrated it. That was the abomination. It was blasphemous and uh, happened in 70 A.D. When Jesus predicted this in Matthew chapter 24 was gonna happen, it happened in 70 A.D., the Romans came in and desecrated the temple. That was blasphemous. And it will happen again in the future by this guy. This Antichrist, this man of lawlessness. He will do this. He will set himself as the object of worship which is blasphemous. He's desecrating the temple. So the say temple is figurative here. It's no warrant it's helpful to look at history, though, to see what this man would be like in the future. Was he Antiochus Epiphanes? No, but he's going to be like him. Was he Nero? No, but he's going to be like him. Was he a Diocletian, the emperor? No, going to be like him. Was he one of the popes? Yes, some of the... Our Reformed brethren actually thought that the Antichrist was going to be one of the popes. Was he one of the popes? No, but going to be like him. I will say this as well: John in the Book of Revelation, one of the passages Caleb is going to read from, we're debating. Um, John gives us even fuller revelation of who this guy is. He is probably the second beast of Revelation chapter thirteen. He will definitely be an adversary of God and especially of God's people. He will make war with them. Notice how else he describes the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, this antichrist. We will drop down to verse 9 for that. Notice verse 9. The one who's coming is in accord act with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. He's empowered by the dragon, Revelation chapter 13. And he do miracles, signs and wonders, which parallels what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 23 to 24. And then John's full of revelation, Revelation chapter 13, verse 13 to 14. So he would perform these signs and wonders. He would delude people to accept the lie as truth. He'd deceive all. It would look so real and it would look so good that if possible, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24, it could deceive the elect. But God keeps his own. Yet notice what he says here in verse 10 and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So as these who perish, they who did not receive the love of the truth, they will embrace the deception of antichrist put it another way but those who are not chosen before the foundation of the world and who choose to go their own way and thus do not receive the truth they will be deceived by this second beast they will be deceived by this man of lawlessness they will be deceived by antichrist And notice Paul continues this, verse 11. And for this reason, what reason? That they rejected the love of the truth so as to be saved. There from the end of verse 10. And for this reason, God sent upon them a deluding influence or a powerful working of error to the effect so that they might believe what is false, literally, the lie which is from the activity of Satan, from the dragon. And and this embracing of the lie will lead them farther and farther away from truth. Because notice what he says here in verse 12, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth. They willfully rejected God, so God brings about a delusion for them to believe the lie, they're moving away from the truth, the lie that's from Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, so then, therefore, what will happen, they will be judged. Who did not believe the truth, but instead, what did they do? They took pleasure in wickedness. They willfully chose the pleasure of wickedness, so... God would judge them. Yes, God elects people for salvation. That's true, it's unconditional. And though he renders certain everything that happens, every little decision has been rendered certain by God, he is not responsible for people rejecting the truth. You will never see that in the Bible. People are culpable, people are responsible They should embrace Christ. They should trust God. They should embrace the gospel. But they willfully reject God and His truth. They close their minds to the truth and they open their minds to foolishness. So this gives us more information, characteristics. Again, I'm on that part about the second event that takes place, and he's describing this man of lawlessness, Antichrist, and the people follow him. He starts describing them. Now, jump back up to verse 5, if you would. Paul says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? <laughs> he taught them these things, he told them about this. Don't you guys remember? And then he says, This, verse 6. And you know what restrains him now, who's him? Antichrist, man of lawlessness. So that in his time he may be revealed. So he told them about these things and in teaching them he told them what was holding back the man of lawlessness, what was holding back Antichrist, or what was restraining him. Well, who Or what is restraining Antichrist? Who or what is restraining the man of lawlessness? I don't know. There are actually multiple choices that have been proposed. The Thessalonians knew. But we don't. And notice Paul says, you guys know what's doing that. It's like, well, why didn't you tell us? (laughs) He doesn't do that, and and like I said, many choices have been proposed. I think uh, one commentator counted. I think there's nine choices you could choose from. Uh, one of the better choices is the Holy Spirit, but again, it's hard to state a case for that. So we're just going to let it stand as it stands. Someone or something is holding back or restraining this man of lawlessness. And no, it's not Donald Trump either. That's not one of the things. Look at what he does though. Verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, if you know your Bibles, you would say, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Lawlessness, Antichrist is already at work. Remember what John says in his first letter, first epistle, first John. Antichrist has already come. It's already here. The working is already in the world. 1 John 2 verse 18. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. You see already a a lawlessness and an anti-God taking place in our world. Do you not? But once this restrainer is removed, notice only he now restrains, is until he is Taken out of the way, so whatever the restrainer is, he's going to be removed. And then verse eight, "And then that lawless none, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming. So say brings us now back to the coming of Jesus. The return of our Lord once this restraint is removed, the lawless One would be revealed, and the Lord Jesus would personally come to earth and slay this lawless one with his breath and bring him to an end. And from Matthew, we saw that Jesus would return here, Paul gives us more information about that coming that when Jesus comes he will slay that lawless one with the sword of his mouth and then John gives us even more revelation of this, the sword of his mouth will slay the second beast, the beast and what's called the false prophets. They're in Revelation chapter 19 verse 20 to 21. So in all these things, Paul has given us one of the biggest reasons why we should stand firm and hold fast. Jesus will return. He's coming. Don't fear. So number one, again, as reason, standing firm and holding fast, number one, because Jesus will return. Reason number two, and because God loves us. Look at what he does here in verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you. On the flip side, Paul, thank God for the Thessalonian Christians, because notice first, beloved, excuse me, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God has chosen you from the beginning. They were beloved by the Lord. How? God chose them to be saved from the beginning before the foundation of the world how does God show his love to his people the very first way he does that is by electing them choosing them picking them to be his own because that's how they become his people so election And thus salvation comes in time in the setting apart of the Holy Spirit and then faith in the truth of the gospel. Notice how this is structured and I'm reading it from Greek. From the beginning unto salvation in sanctification of the Spirit and faith in the truth. So salvation in the sanctification the setting apart by the Holy Spirit and faith in the truth. How does the election come in time? The Spirit sets you apart and you respond to the truth and faith. setting apart of the Holy Spirit and then faith in the truth of the gospel. In other words, Paul was thanking God that he loved them, God loved them so much as to choose them which brought about the work of the Spirit in time to sanctify or set them apart and then for them to trust in Christ. God planted in eternity and what he plans in eternity, he will carry it out in history. That's what he does. That's how sure election is. God loves us. Because Jesus will return, second, because God loves us, a third reason, and because we will share in Jesus' glory. Look at verse 14. And it was for this he called you through our gospel. uh, To what did God call them? The whole phrase given above. There in verse 13. And he did that through the gospel. This is the event in time because in actuality, election doesn't save you. Faith in Christ saves you. Jesus is the one who saves you through the means of faith through the gospel. That's the event in time. And then notice what he says here. Through our gospel unto the gaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? In other words, they will participate in Christ's glory at his coming when he comes He'd glorify them. When He comes, He would glorify them. They will participate. They will be a part of this glory of the coming of Jesus. Another phrase you can put it, what's the final purpose for God calling us to salvation that we may share in the glory of Jesus Christ when he comes again what encouragement what hope what assurance what surety you have this is our promise this is why we can thank God or I'll put it this way christian because jesus the messiah will return because god loves us choosing you for salvation and because one day when he comes you will share in his glory stand firm and hold fast verse 15 so then brethren now this moves us from the what to the so what? Jesus is returning, we got all those details. So what? What, what? How does our lives change because of the return of Christ, because of election, because we're gonna share in his glory? How does our lives change? So then, brethren, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions which you were taught whether by word or by letter from us. Christ's coming and God's election of us drives us to responsible action stand firm and hold fast amid this world crisis Paul's calling us as his readers not to slouch in laziness or lethargy to be lethargic tells us to do just the very opposite be steadfast and stable keep grasping be unmovable and cling fast to the teaching of God's word to the gospel to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done who oh, he's died for our sins he resurrected from the dead and our response to repent and trust Christ and if you're here and you're not a Christian, you must respond that way. You must repent and trust Christ. You must turn away from your sin and follow Jesus. Realize that you have no hope without him. It's this gospel that we must stand for and hold fast to. This, this is how we should respond. Not in fear, anxiety. Worry or doubting like the world around us? This should be our response. How can I stand firm? How can I hold fast to the gospel even more? Now, should we be looking and, and watching who, who this antichrist, this man of lawlessness, will be? Sure be looking, be aware, yeah, but not at the expense of the positive commands that God gives us in His Word. You can go down that road and just end up maybe just going crazy over this, or getting so distracted, maybe that might be a better way to put it, we get distracted towards trying to figure out who this man of lawlessness is and who this antichrist is and what's all this stuff going on. Remain steadfast in the faith. Be stable in the truth. Keep standing firm in it. Keep clinging to Christ. Notice he says the traditions which were taught. Paul's authoritative teaching given to the Thessalonians they were given it by Paul, whether it was orally or by a letter, obviously the letter was first thessalonians chapter all the first Thessalonians, specifically he says this in chapter three, verse seven to eight. One more thing, one more point for us to look at: stand for a whole fast um because Jesus is going to return, God loves us, right because we're going to participate and share in His glory. Our faith is weak. It's hard. It's difficult. So God, help us to stand firm and hold fast. This is a prayer. Verse 16 to 17 is a prayer. God, help us stand firm and hold fast. God, we need you to help us to stand firm. God, we need you to help us to hold fast to the gospel, not be influenced by fear and worry and anxiety. And Paul prayed for them because he knew they needed God's grace in order to stand firm and hold fast. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself And God our Father, notice notice both the Son and the Father, they love God's people who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope. Both of them love us. Both of them gave to us. The Son gave. Did He not give when He took on flesh His incarnation? Did He not give when He sacrificed Himself on our behalf as our substitute? And does not the gospel give us eternal comfort and good hope? The gospel gives eternal comfort and good hope because it's based upon God's promises of redemption and glorification in Christ. We have eternal comfort. We have the comfort for eternity. We were gonna be with with our creator forever and enjoy him forever. That's eternal comfort. That's comfort that lasts not just for a lifetime, and lasts forever. And it's such hope. It's hope that's good, it's solid, it's a truth that's factual. All because of God keeping his promise of redemption, glorifying his son. Surety. And notice the end of verse 16, by grace, you see that? All this comes by the grace of God his unmerited favor towards us his undeserved favor towards us so here the father the son and the father for loving us as his people giving themselves may they comfort and strengthen your hearts may they encourage And strengthen your heart. Stand firm. Hold fast. When they give this encouragement and strength, it brings about notice, in every good work and word, it brings about good words and good actions. God motivates us towards right living, God's the motivation towards right living. his work in us will cause us to act and speak in ways that truly display real faith in our lives. That Jesus is our Savior and Lord. That we trust in the fact that one day he'll come again. That we trust in the fact that he loves us. That we're holding on to the truth, the promise that we're gonna participate in his glory. So his work, we pray for this. God, do your work in us and it will cause us to act and to speak in ways that truly display this faith in the truth. We need him to help us because our faith is weak and praise the name of the Lord that when we have weak faith and we sin, that's why Jesus had to die, right? He took that very sin in our weak state of our faith. Because Jesus will return and because God loves us and because we will share in Christ's glory, we must stand firm and hold fast and God will help us. We pray with me? We need your help. O oh, Son of God, Father, by your Spirit, we need your grace. Help us to stand firm. Help us not to be clouded by false teaching. Help us to cling and hold fast to the gospel. Not to be carried away by the events that take place in our world. May we be known as a group of people who are standing firm in the gospel, holding fast to the gospel, And we thank you that when we fall short of that, that's why Jesus you had to die. Because we will fall short. And yet, thank you that you give us grace, you pick us up, and you give us grace to keep standing strong. You're encouraging us, you command us to stand firm and hold fast and then you encourage us and give us the strength and the comfort to stand firm and hold fast. Thank you. Help us as a church to do this, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. One more song we'll sing. Oh yeah, this is you. Jesus, thank you. You may stand. Are you done?